Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. time. Thank you, Bill. Give it up for Bill, the musicians. Thank you. You may be excused. You did so well. I love that new song this morning. So good. Thanks, Shirley. Love new songs. Sing a new song unto the Lord. There's so much happening. Yeah, give these guys another hand. And wasn't Tom playing exceptional drums this morning? Just love that. Just love it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. There's so much happening on the planet. And, um, of course, Julie and I will be down at the event, the Melbourne. Uh, it's renamed, by the way. It was Eddie Had Stadium. It's now the Marvel Stadium. Have a look in the dictionary and look what Marvel means, if you like. <laughs> I think you'll be prophetically, pleasantly surprised. Uh, and certainly we're praying for what God's going to do uh, in the Marvel Stadium as the streets are going to be set ablaze by uh, evangelists, people that have been filled with the Spirit, uh, like Acts 1.8 says, and you will receive power to be my witnesses, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, even to Melbourne and to the states of Australia. And that is our heart, that the church is mobilized, the church is mobilized in this hour. I was really grieved this morning. I just read a little touch of news. I realized that the cafe owner in one of the Melbourne, around that terrorist attack on Friday, was it? The 75-year-old uh, Greek, was he, he looked Greek to me, cafe owner, and his partner was there, another Greek man, he, he was there, and of course he got caught in the, in, the, uh, in, in the scuffle of the man with that weapon, and he got stabbed. The young lady tried to save him, but, and, and, and so this morning the whole, the whole CBD is grieving because they knew the cafe owner. The cafe is a famous cafe, apparently. Great coffee, great food. Always a delight to visit there because he always greeted people at the door, and he just seemed... So uh, joyful all the time, and of course he was uh, un unfortunately uh, taken out Friday. And so we want to pray, uh, and, and of course the, the stadium uh, evangelistic campaign is being held in Melbourne. And, and you know, where the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Where sin abounds. So if you think you've got a lot of stuff happening in your life, in your, in, in your circumstance of life, know this, that if, if all hell's breaking loose, that grace can break loose, amen? Uh, if you choose, choose life. Choose to, to stand your ground and declare the goodness of God. I love that theme. And so that's what we got to do in these days, Aussies. we got to take a stand like these soldiers did a hundred years ago. They fought a brave fight. Uh, to stem the tide of darkness coming in from Europe and, uh, and, and taking over Europe. And of course, our Aussies put their hands up and got in the trenches and fought the good fight. And we lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of men and women. And uh, so we need to take stock of the situation we're living in, in this day. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the church I want to talk about, I just got this when I was driving here this morning from my place to here, and, I, and I've got all this stuff happening, and, uh, and, I, and I thought, it is, we, we are like in the trenches, we should feel like we're a little bit in the trenches, in the trenches, fighting for our neighbor, for our cities, uh, for, for our nations, and, and we should feel like that. that, that's what the notion of church is about. The church is not a place where we come and share pleasantries and sing kumbaya and uh, hear a nice word uh, 
uh, and then go home. The church is way more than that, and I, I want to talk about that. Are you interested in hearing that this morning? I'm really grieved, too, for the bushfires. I don't know why. California, Malibu, and homes burning down, and people's, you know, people's lives upended. But, Father, we just pray for California right now. The Bible says the church is a house of prayer. We pray for the, the Californian situation of fires breaking out. We pray, God, somehow, supernaturally, you would intervene and snuff out those fires, just like you snuff out the enemy from our life. Lord, we pray you'd snuff out that, that fire that is tragically taking homes and property and disrupting and lives, taken lives already. And so, God, we pray. Lord, our heart goes out to them. And our heart goes out to the Mel, Melbonians, Melbanians, is it Melbanians, that uh, are grieving uh, for their town. And we declare that in Jesus' name. Can I hear an Amen. This message was called uh, Outcry, and it's about God. It's about God uh, wanting His church to be the church in this hour. And, I, and, and, it's, and it's quite a, it's quite a, it's got a lot of content. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get it done, but I will. And I want to get to a word called koinonia. It's a Greek word. Who's, who's the Greek people in the house this morning? <laughs> Sorry. Yes. On cue, awesome, on cue. Bill, you're an awesome Greek man. We love you. We love your nation. Love Greece. Julie wants to go back there. Mykonos and what's that other island? Santorini. Santorini. Oh, if you love crowds, go to Santorini. Mykonos is awesome. No, it's, uh, it's colorful. It's delightful. It's friendly. It's awesome. We love Greek people and Greek food. How many Greek? Put up your hands, all the Greek people. Oh my goodness, this is the rise of the, the empire again, the Greek, this is, this is, man, we have, this is, uh, our prayer, God, give me a heart for your body, for your bride, God, give me a passion for my church and the role that you have for me, I ask you to move in great power in our church to be the church for this hour. Amen. I glanced a photo on Instagram and, and I really just, it impacted me. It's, it's the, uh, the pen, if I could. Uh, yeah. And these are the notes of a great man of God that I follow. And he, he says, we are. And I want to talk about our identity this morning of who we are as Christians. Uh, I think somehow we've dumbed it down as being Christians. We've dumb the notion of church down, but this suggests a whole <laughs> gamut of wonderful, uh, powerful truths that who we are as a church, as a people of God. So this is we are, the first one, an identity generation. This is actually what's happening worldwide to the church, and especially young people and all the generations. They're realizing that they are born for a reason, for a season, for such a time as this. Amen? They, they, they know that they're born and that they're a child of God, that they're a son of God, a daughter of the Lord, if you will, and they are committed to knowing who they are and why, how they're wired and what their purpose is and what their destiny is and how best to work that out to give glory to God in the time of their life on planet Earth. Amen? So this is, this is a major one. Identity is major. Because the world will try and give you a false identity. The world, and, and it comes by many ways, sociologically conditioned. You could even get your identity from a TV show. Isn't it amazing when you start to watch something, you start to get their mannerisms and of a particular character and, I don't know, choose, choose your example. But the, uh, the next one is, um, let's go to the right, heaven on earth generation, believing for and seeing the power and culture of heaven on earth. Powerful. Uh, down to the left there in the corner. Uh, destiny generation, as I said, 
hungry to know God, why we're here, why we're alive. The famous scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. And the last one, kingdom generation. And I think that's been left out, uh, some of it, but it's basically bringing the kingdom to pass in our world. And the kingdom is where God rules and reigns. If there's a sick person, we need to bring the kingdom to that. If there's a situation of people arguing, we need to bring the kingdom to that. If there's a business faltering, let's bring the kingdom to that. So uh, if, if we're engaging the world, we need to, we need to release the kingdom virtues and, and character and godly, godly expression of the kingdom. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God using the words to create everything by simply saying, let there be. You remember that saying? Let there be. Let there be light, of course. He created expanses of time and space, created laws of physics, oceans teeming with life. The words of God, unimaginable words creating life. But there were words in the New Testament, and they were the words of Jesus. And he said this in Matthew 16, and these are also great words, words that started a worldwide movement that we need to see revived again. And the words go like this in Matthew 16, 15. What about you, he asked. Words of Jesus. What about you, he asked, asking Peter. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who can say that this morning with faith and passion? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Good to see some hands go up. That's a really good response. Appreciate that. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This sound, these words are still reverberating through our planet, through all the cities, the villages, the towns, in people's hearts. It's still reverberating in your hearts, in our hearts, causing a cataclysmic effect to say, I'm in, or no, I need to live my own life. I'll help you build that church. So easy to find out what's wrong with the church, is it not? But isn't it amazing that God's chosen the imperfect to reveal the perfect love of God? Isn't that beautiful? It actually says in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to be moving down the line because I want to get to communion and I need to pull up at 11 o'clock for um, Remembrance Day, yeah. So I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and get communion before 11. And so the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, for, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Ah, our prayer, God, remind your bride that she has a glorious future. We're the bride of Christ, by the way, the church. Remind me that I'm on the winning team. Just say that now. Lord, remind me that I'm on the winning team. The church is going to excel. It's going to take serious ground. It's going to reap a harvest in these days. It's going to repel and stem the tide of darkness. We can be part of that by our lifestyle through the church, or we can just ignore it and pretend that we don't have a part to play in it. I, this is a statement. God is radically reshaping us around his gospel, his word, and his community called church. And what, what that does when you realize that, you are, that, that the, 
the gospel is having this effect on you to shape you, transform you. And that in the community that you find context for living. If you don't understand that game plan in your life, church is a place that you visit and you partake of it in one way or another and then you walk out and can I tell you that you might not find traction in your Christian life to be what God ultimately wants you to be. The local church is a gospel community on mission with Jesus. Who can say amen to that? So why gospel? Why community? I want to touch on that. Key principles. Gospel and community are why we do church, and it's exactly why Jesus said, I will build my church. What we do is defined by the gospel. Our context is always our belonging to church. I'm going to drill down on this a little bit. Our identity as Christians is defined by the gospel and its community shapes us and transforms us if you, if you let it. Let me explain. Let's understand two things. First, it means being word-centered because the gospel is word. Amen? The gospel is a message. The gospel is news. Second, it means mission-centered. We're on mission. When you came and got saved, when you got saved and you came into the kingdom, when you came into the life of the kingdom, you were given your marching orders. And now you have, you should, when you're revived and when you've maybe worshipped and you've praised and you've read your Bible and you've been in good company, you will feel as though you need to volunteer because the Bible says, my people will volunteer in the day of power. Who feels like they've been compelled by a sense of mission, a sense of assignment? I've got to do this. I've got to play drums. Look at Tom over there. He's looking at his little newborn. He's, but he's a drummer. Last week, he came to Jilly and said, I know I've got a, a, a newborn. and I, I know my wife, she would like more of me. But, uh, yeah, but still, I think I've been here a while now. And I think I need to probably serve the drumming team on the worship team. He's doing that because... He's compelled, is that right? Tom, he's in the world. He's playing thrash music. <laughs> Double kick drum. <laughs> I've heard some of it, don't you worry. But he's compelled. He responds to the prayers of the saints because I was praying him in to the house of God. Because I said to Julie, we need a drummer like that he's got heart he's got spirit and he's a good kid i've talked to this kid many times he was in our kids big noise group wasn't he tim from this age down here i said i need that kid in our church lord god tom wherever he is thrashing away lord bring him in bring him in he can continue to thrash out there but bring him in here to quietly quietly play under the lord He, he had to tone it down a bit, but that's all right. Third, first, it's a word-centered deal. Second, it's mission-centered. Mission, mission. But the third one is, and this is where we really struggle, ah, is the community-centered. See, some churches make a big deal about it, proclaiming the Word of God. Very strict, very adamant, the Word. And then the community is not quite as robust. It, it, it's not quite working together and, and doing koinonia. I'll explain the word later. Koinonia is the word fellowship, but it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. So some churches, maybe conservative, they do the word excellently. They pronounce and proclaim the word and teach the word of God, but the community is not quite as robust. 
They're not doing coffee with each other after church and they're not helping each other, mowing each other's lawns. When they're sick, they're baking cakes or something like that. But more than that, they're working together. They're, they're, they're studying together. They're, during the week, they're doing this stuff 24-7. They're hanging together. They are a real family. Then there's other churches, maybe the emergent church is saying, hey, that's a bit too strict, a bit too conservative. We need more community, more community. Let's hang loose. Let's do it. Oh, let's not get too heavy on this, you know. Let's relax. Let's relax. But that can be a little bit whimsical too if we don't have the Word of God. Do you know what I'm saying? We've got to have the Word and we've got to have the mission and the gospel, but the Word, but we've got to have the community, the community of God. Is that right? Because people are not sharing. What happens when we're not in community? People statement. I know people. some people take notes. People, uh, because people are not sharing their lives, truth is not applied and lived out with each other. If Christian community is not governed by truth as it should be, then it may become whimsical or self-indulgent social club. I call it a best friends club. Spectator sport. Watching a few pay the price to serve its mission. Consuming, but not contributing. Consuming, coming here like this is a, you know, a free lunch or something. I don't know. But it's not. There was a great price paid. For the community. So we need to be enthusiastic about truth and mission. And we need to be enthusiastic about relationship and community. This is the heart cry of God for our church. And it's my heart cry that we hang like this. That we do truth. That we do the gospel. We do the mission. But we do community. And we really do it. Through this word called koinonia. Say koinonia. Awesome man. You're saying it. You're doing it. I said, Evan, how are you saying that word? It's just coming off your tongue. So easy. He said, when I was in Ballina, there was a, a big youth camp up there called Koinonia. Camp Koinonia. John 13, 35. God says, through this Koinonia type of church, which is fellowship I'm talking about, but it's deeper than that. I'm going to get to that. Jesus said, the world will know that the Father sent the Son. And he says it like this, John 13, 35. By all this will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if people come in here and when we do worship and when we break up, we really get around and smile at each other and handshake and, hey, you doing? What's happening? and we look like we really know each other and get along with each other, and then we welcome the visitors, and we look around and say, well, yeah, are the visitors feeling a little bit odd at the moment? Maybe a bit of a culture shock. Maybe they've never been in the church like this. Let's get around. Let's have a look. Let's, oh, yeah, they look, they look like they're struggling maybe. They look, look like, Renee, there's a young girl over there, first time in church. Maybe you need to go over there. I don't know. But when they see that, Jesus is saying that they will know, the world will know that he is Lord. So what we're proposing, what we're proposing, when I get my notes back, thank you, is that we live 24-7 as a community, as a church, that's our identity. Can I, can, I, can I propose this to you? Our identity is being a Christian, but it is being in community. And it is being a Christian 24-7 when you're out and about at the checkout in Coles, wherever, where seemingly all the time at every checkout I go through, I don't know what it is. I'm just a sitting duck now. I can't even be an introvert anymore. Always, the, the person fires up the conversation. And, and as soon as they do that, I've got to say something. I've got to retort. Uh, and I, inevitably, I turn it around very quickly to the fact that God is a good God. 
Does that happen to you? I think it happens to spirit-filled people who are wired. God's always working around your friends and folk and always working around your work friends, always working around your situation. But if you had antennas, if you were plugged in, turned on, tuned in, you would pick up, you would pick up the airways that God, what are you saying to this person? Why did they mention that, Lord? That off-the-cuff statement. Well, oh, yeah, I can, I can turn that. I can turn that and I can introduce the God factor. So my identity is that I'm a C3 Tugrian. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. When I'm pushing the trolley for Julie through Carl's. Can I have that? Can I have that? No, you can't have that. Oh, damn. She's, she's got me on a diet now. I'm, I'm on some crazy diet. I'm starving. Help me. I'm looking good, am I? Yeah. I, was, I need to get match fit. This is hard work, this, this gospel being 24-7 in God. Being total church. Why gospel? Turn to John 14, 8. Ah, my time is ebbing away. Okay, let's, let's run through there because it's important to my... my, my, my uh, this, is, this, is, this is important. John 14, 8. Philip said, you got that up there? Lord, show us the Father that we... This is Philip saying, look, Jesus, you're awesome. You've done great things. It's been amazing. But give us an epiphany. Give us a vision. I, I, I want to see something. Give us something supernatural to speak to us of who Father God is. That's where the church, the pendulum can swing too far. But the word is sufficient. And this scripture will teach us this. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Just show us him right now. Just show us the Father. Show us God. Father. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say, say it after me, the words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. God is still known through the words that he says, through the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, amen? Through the words of Jesus, the Father is doing his work, amen? That's why we love scripture teachers. That's why we love anyone who can proclaim and share a scripture to anyone. A story of my dentist, he went to a dentist convention and this uh, very distinguished uh, uh, dentist who was actually sharing at this whole 1,000 uh, person uh, conference and, and my Christian dentist, he was in the audience and he just had a heart for him. You know, he, he's a 24-7 Christian. He's, he's, he's a 24-7. He's a so he goes up to the distinguished Japanese fellow and he says, look, I don't want to disturb you. I can see you're eating your lunch there, but I've got a word for you. What, what, what'd you say? I got a, I got a Bible, a Bible word. I got a word from the Bible. Ah, the Bible, the Bible. And so he speaks the one scripture to him. And then slowly, tears start to cascade out of his eyes. He could even hardly understand what that scripture was about. But it was the word with the Holy Spirit having its effect. It's what we need to do. God saves people by his word. 
He works through his word. It's how he does it. The works of Jesus can be done by every Christian. The greater work, what is the greater work? And greater work you shall do. What is the greater work? The greater work is to bring people to eternal life through, through the gospel, through the word of God, through the proclamation of that word. John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask. That's the promise. And if you do that, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God rules through his word. Just say that after me, please. God rules through his word. That's what he does in the beginning. When the earth was formless and empty, he said, let there be light, and there was light. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God, and, and was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. When God's word is not heard, when God's word is not heard, when God's word is not heard, darkness and chaos close in again into your mind, into your life, into your home, into your business, into your city, into our church. Jeremiah, he has this radical interpretation of what's happening. And he, and he says in Jeremiah 4.23, I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty. And the heavens and the light was gone. Formless and empty is the same Hebrew expression used in Genesis when it was said of the chaos and darkness before God's creative word. When we first came to Wyong, my goodness, people said, why are you living in Wyong for? It's so dark. Well, it's one of the best, best places on, on the central coast now. That's what I think. Got some of the best cafes. And it's been, it's, it's like a, like a revival went through there thanks to our church thanks to the prayers of the saints and now the school which was one of the worst high schools is one of the better schools on the central coast because the word got in there they introduced the scripture teaching back in 96 we prayed in there we did church in their high school auditorium for two years imagine what that was doing we used to sweep it out all the dust all the dust, sweep all the dust out, vacuum it all out, do church on Sunday. The teachers were saying, it's changing here. It's changing. Let's do a little overview of the Old Testament. Adam and Eve would express their commitment to God's reign by trusting his word, his command. Don't eat from the tree. Serpent came, you know the story. Doubt God's word. Doubt God. Did God really say that? Deny God's word. Deny God's word. And of course, the woman is governed by her, uh, what's pleasing to the eye. And that can be man or woman. That we're all prone to that. God's, God rules as his word is trusted and obeyed. God is rejected when his word is not trusted and not obeyed. When he calls Abraham, Abraham, God begins his plan to restore his rule and create a new humanity. He speaks a word of promise. His promise to Abraham was that you will be my people, you'll be a land of blessing, and you'll be a blessing to all the nations. Remember that? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. You're going to be my people, you're going to know me, we're going to be intimately acquainted, you're going to pray to me, I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to be about you, my goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You're going to be my people, you're going to stand in the gap for the heathen nations. You're going to be like priests. You're going to stand before God and represent the people. And then you're going to represent me to the people. That's what we're supposed to do. Church, we're that priesthood of believers. Abraham, can you do that? That's the promise. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm going to do that. God's big on command. He's light on details. He follows him. Abraham follows him. Of course, the people renege on the word. And then Moses came along. Moses comes along. Moses, he's given the Ten Commandments. He's the deliverer. He gets the people out of Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness. There's more to come. And then the mountain, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Can they follow that? Can they follow? Can they just do Ten Commandments? No, they reneged on that. 
They reneged on that. And so it goes until Jesus came, who is the Word. Who is the Word. John 5, 24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my Word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. True disciples are those who Jesus said in John 5, 24, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. God extends his rule through his word. So, again, Christianity is mission-centered because God extends his rule through his gospel word. You can have a look at Mark 14, the parable there of sowing the word of God and people receiving it. It's them when they grow. When they receive the word into their heart, it's then when they grow. But there's more, and it's uh, not steak knives, but it's, it's the church of the Spirit, and quickly. We can hand out the communion. We need to do that. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus was proposing such a dynamic, spirit-filled, word-driven church that, in fact, the known world was turned upside down and impacted so amazingly that it's still talked about unto this day. I love this. I love this statement. It is a living community where things happen because God is at work where our hearts are moved in worship, when people are changed by God's word, when we turn to God in prayer, and where we care for one another, and when we act in selfless ways, and supremely, say supremely, when people are saved. All these are signs of when the Holy Spirit has arrived. Paul says, in Christ. Say, in Christ. Ephesians 2.22, and in Him, in Christ, you two are being built together. That's you. Say, that's me. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We are word-based, but we are Spirit-filled. 2 Samuel uh, 23 verse 2, I love these scriptures. (laughs) The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. I hope that happens for you at the checkout. I hope that happens to you in the marketplace. I hope that that happens to you with your loved ones when you visit them in hospital and they are in dire need for a miracle or a word of hope. I pray that this scripture would be pertinent to you. 2 Samuel 23 verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Who can say amen to that? when we've got the Word and the Spirit together. See, it's the Spirit that applies the Word. He he does sort of like, Renee, like soul surgery. The Word is living and active, a two-edged sword cutting down deep, dividing asunder those things that are not of God and those things that are God. And it's in you, the Word of God. can be a little bit invasive, but it's good. James says, the Word of God is like a mirror. shows Jesus. We, We look in the mirror and we go, Oh my God, I am a Christian. There he is in my eyes. I, look, I don't feel like it. I haven't prayed a bunch. I'm backslidden. I, you know, I really. But you know what? I did give my life to the Lord. I did give my life to the Lord. I was so sincere. I'm struggling to be the church like Pastor Phil is talking about. I'm struggling to be this expression of mission and gospel. And I, I, I know I'm struggling with that. But my God. Jesus, you're in me. You're there. Who loves the Holy Spirit? God, I love the Word of God. The Word of God is adequate and sufficient. Word and Spirit give us new desire for God. Romans 8, 5, 9, 14, verse 17, Galatians 5, 17. When we have the Word and the Spirit, our appetites change find yourself on a diet you're fasting off the world and all this nonsense the world's trying to give you and and, and you just want to eat good stuff, you want to watch Downton Abbey until there's no more and and you're crying because there's no more 
you can't take any horror. You can't take any blood and guts. Your sensibilities change. Your appetites change when you have the Word and the Holy Spirit inside you. Amen? You get creative again. You want to paint again. You want to draw. You want to worship. You want to sing. You're 50 years of age, but you said, I always wanted to play guitar. You go out and buy a guitar just to, just to be a psalmist and sing under the Lord. Your appetites change. Your desires change. Thank you, Frank. Your true identity is to be the community. You cannot be your true self unless you realize you are the community of the Holy Spirit. All right, my time is gone. Here's this word, koinonia. Koinonia. The New Testament word for community is koinonia. There it is. Often translated by the now anemic word, fellowship. So if I say, oh, we had nice fellowship, (laughs) I'm already inferring. If I said, Shane and I had wonderful fellowship, that just sounds like we stood around the barbecue and maybe had a beer and and looked down at his great property he's just recently brought through that lovely bush, Berkeleyvale bush land, little gully there and that, that, that could be fellowship, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Here it is. Koinonia is linked to the words common, having things in common, sharing, sharing, sharing our mission, sharing our pilgrimage unto the Lord, sharing, building our facilities, sharing, giving expression to God, sharing and participation. And here it is. We are a community of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I don't think the guys have got time to put these up. We are in community with the Son. Amen? Okay, let's back it up. Say amen after each statement. We are in community of the Holy Spirit. In community with the Son. Sharing our lives. Sharing our property sharing in the gospel and sharing in Christ's suffering and glory. Okay, that's it. So the collection of money by the Gentile church for the poverty-stricken church in Jerusalem is an act of koinonia. I've got all these scriptures after all these statements. Our community life, which will bring us to communion, is celebrated and reinforced communion where we participate in koinonia together in the body and the blood of Christ. Just close your eyes for a moment. We are participating in this koinonia moment. Father God, we do this in remembrance of you for the great price that you paid for our life on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we we are reminded of the great sacrifice your blood spilled, your body brutalized dear God we take stock of the situation of our life in you in Christ and we say Lord God we do this we take this communion we take the blood that was shared we take the, the, the wine that, that we're, and really it's just juice guys but it, it's, it's symbolic of the blood of Christ we do this in remembrance of you and we take the wafer we take the bread that is your body we take this in remembrance of your body. We are in you. We do that now. You can take the wine. You can take the bread. Lord, help me be koinonia. Help me live the life of koinonia. Let me do that. In Jesus' name. I need, uh, how long have I got? How long have I got? Yeah, one minute. Dear God in heaven. Thank you, Father God. hundred years ago, hundred years ago, our brave soldiers fought a, a fight. Remembrance Day is a special significance, 2018. It is actually a hundred years anniversary of Armistice, which ended the First World War, 1914 to 18. 100 years ago, on the 11th of November, 
1918, the guns of the Western Front fell silent after four years of continuous warfare. Just pull me up and just tell me when 11 o'clock strikes. With the armies retreating and closed to collapse, German leaders signed. Now, thank you. One minute silence, guys. Thank you, guys. I just should continue to read just for the sake of the, the people that don't understand today. Remembrance Day is a special significance. 2018, Sunday, the 11th of November, which is today, 2018, marks the 100th anniversary of Armistice, which ended the First World War, 1914-1980. My uh, grandfather was injured and um, later, la- later, because he was injured, couldn't get out of the way of a moving bus. And he was killed in his little Welsh village of Kalean. 100 years ago, on the 11th of November, 1918, the guns of the Western Front fell silent after four years of continuous warfare. With the armies retreating and close to collapse, German leaders signed an armistice, bringing to an end the First World War. From the summer of 1918, the five divisions of the Australian Corps had been at the forefront of the Allied advance to victory, beginning with their stunning success at the Battle of Hamel in July, they helped to turn the tide of the war. Followed by the capture of Mount uh, St. Quentin and Perone and the breaching of the German defences at the Hindenburg Line in September, by early October, the exhausted Australians were withdrawn from battle. They had achieved a fighting reputation out of the proportion to their numbers. But victory had come at a heavy cost. They suffered almost 48,000 casualties during 1918, including more than 12,000 dead. In the four years of the war, more than 330,000 Australians had served overseas and more than 60,000 of them had died. The social effects of these losses cast a long shadow over the post-war decades. Each year on this day, Australians observe one minute silence at 11 a.m. in memory of those who died or suffered in all wars and armed conflicts. My last scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, 6 in talking about uh, koinonia, which is, I believe, we need an anointing to do proper koinonia. I don't think you can do it in your own strength. I don't think, listen to me, this is probably the most radical statement I'll say, I don't think you can do koinonia if you don't feel the grace and the anointing to pull together, to hang tough, to be in the trenches together as a church, to be mission, to be that church that God is desperately trying to express out and about and even to Nairobi, Kenya, where We have planted a church and our son-in-law and daughter are coming back this Tuesday. They'll be here for a number of weeks. I don't think we can do what we're called to do if we don't understand how God wants us to hang tough like this. But this scripture infers it, I'm sure. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we gave thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Just that photo, please, Stephen. When Jesus said, Jack Hayford said, I love that not sure if you did yet. When Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. The, the wonderful Jack Hayford says, he says about this scripture, he was declaring a new dimension of life available to all who receive him. Can I propose to you 
that you are being shaped for the gospel, shaped for community, to be on mission for the reward of his suffering, to win souls, to redeem schools, towns, marketplace. Let's all stand. God bless you. God bless you. But I think in these days, in these exciting days in which we live, that we need to practice sharing, participating, contributing, and being in the trenches of being that church. Interpersonal relationship with people, being somewhat transparent and open and accountable. Not just visiting the church and walking out, but being that community. Wherever God so fits that you belong, I pray that you would find it and that you would be that magnificent expression of church, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. All your days, all your days. Let's just sing that. Let's just sing that. Let's lift that last thing we do. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Plus.